0: went to our piano and played the piano beautifully and I was thinking, where does this beautiful heavenly music come from? It's It was him playing the piano and uh, and he has started many ministries around the world. Um, the one that uh, is, is worth noting is this ministry called Heart, which he, he can explain a bit more later, but it's to uh, reach out to uh, the disadvantaged and the, the poor and, and through that bring the gospel to the different nations. He has teamed up with a, a, a lady, an ex-MP in the UK to start this ministry uh, and also they have a gospel music festival in Burma. You know how many times he has been to Burma? Anyone guess? Close to a hundred times to Burma. And uh, I don't know if he can speak Burmese or not, but uh, he, he has three children. He and his wife ha- have three children and five grandchildren. Haven't beaten uh, uh, Uncle Alan's record yet. But, uh, so, so let's put our hands together to welcome this wonderful doctor and more importantly, a man of God that God has sent to minister to us. Thank you, Dr. Martin. Okay, he, he's not getting his lights on. Can someone come and help with this PowerPoint? Okay, As, yes.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, sorry I'm a bit of a Luddite when it comes to electronics. But it's such a privilege to be here today. And such a beautiful church, it really to me is a reminder of heaven, where the Bible tells us that every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation will be worshipping Jesus around the throne. And it was so lovely to see all the different tribes and nations represented here this morning. So it is such a privilege for me to be here and enjoying the wonderful hospitality of Roland and Evelyn. Thank you so much for your love and your graciousness. So I've been asked to speak a little bit about missions to you today, and I'm certainly no expert. I'm certainly still learning and have so much to learn. But I want to share with you a little bit about what God has taught me through the years of having the privilege of taking the gospel and his love to many nations around the world. Are we all called to mission? I guess that's a question that each of us have to ask ourselves. We just read, Ronan put up that beautiful scripture during communion, that Jesus' very last words before he left this earth, and I think last words are always really important, where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely, that lovely word, as Roland stressed, surely, without any doubt whatever, I am with you until the end of the age. Romans ten thirteen says, "All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." So that is really our basis for witness: that we share the gospel, so that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we know where that power comes from; it comes from the Holy Spirit. As the angel said, as Jesus went up into heaven, is not for you to know the times and the dates, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. What does it mean to be a witness to our faith? I would suggest that basically it's to live for Jesus and to represent his love to those in our workplace, in our homes, in our cities, and also around the world, initially in Jerusalem where we live, then Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I would suggest all of us who love Jesus should be both willing and prepared, if necessary, to go to the ends of the earth. Is it not working? It's okay. Thank you. We're behind, are we? I'll wait until he's got it adjusted. So we've got the next one. Are we called to the ends of the earth? Can we we go on to the next one, please, brother, up there? Yes. Oh, we have. Okay. And the next one? It's not working down this end, unfortunately. Okay. And the next one? How do we know we're called? Keith Green, who sadly was killed in a flying accident in 1982, a wonderful musician and evangelist, once wrote a very moving song. and This is really what spoke to my heart some 30 years ago when I was thinking about mission, where he said, Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception if we stay. No wonder we're moving so slow when his church refused to obey. Can you put the next one on, please, brother? Thank you. And I think all of us have to answer that question, are we called or are we not called to go to the ends of the earth? I wonder if I could have hands up for anyone in this audience today who clearly feels that God has not called them to go out to be witness, anyone who really feels that God has called them just to stay here in Box Hill and never to go out anywhere else, anyone who God has specifically called to say, stay here, do not go anywhere else. Well, that's interesting. You see, I don't see a single hand raised. So that means that all of us have a call upon our life to start in Box Hill and to go maybe to Melbourne, to different parts of Australia, but to the ends of the earth. I've just written a little book. It's called Stethoscope on the Wing. And in it, really, I I make the argument that all of us, whatever our background, should be prepared and willing to go on short-term mission. The reason being is that many people today are not able to be full-time mission. I still believe with all my heart that full-time missions are and will remain the backbone of mission work worldwide. But for many reasons, people say have responsibilities with elderly parents and, more importantly, that many countries now are not issuing missionary visas. I have friends in Mozambique who have to leave the country every three months to renew their visa, which is not only time-consuming, it's also very expensive. In some countries, you simply cannot go as a missionary. In Thailand, when I first went there some 30 years ago, they were awarding hundreds of missionary visas. Now there are hardly any. And so there are restrictions. But we can use whatever gifts God's given us, whether it's in medicine or paramedical things, in the arts, in the media, in IT, in law, in teaching, in building. The, the, the list goes on indefinitely. As long as As we go with the right spirit, and the right spirit is go, what my friend Heidi Baker in Mozambique calls going in low and slow. So we come underneath with humility to lift up. I always tell my medical friends who want to go and work on medical mission, that is the only model that works in the developing world, or in fact in any place, that we come in underneath and lift up. So that we empower the local people because it's not about us. It's about those to whom we go to minister. And if we come with that right spirit, people say, what are you looking for, Martin? I say two things. Number one, that you love Jesus with all your heart. Number two, you're prepared to serve and do anything as Jesus did. Because he came as a servant. As we read in Philippians 2. He forsook all the glory of heaven and came to earth as a servant because of his great love for us. And we, as his disciples, are called to follow his, disi- follow his example. So it's partly biographical. It also partly deals with a number of other topics which I think are important. I've got a topic on an atheist worldview to the rich Western church, core values, soaring like eagles. That's probably the center of the book. How we can be Christians that soar with wings of eagles. Core beliefs, core conduct. Evolution, is it compatible with faith? It's um, probably a, a poison chalice that many wouldn't take up. But as a scientist and a doctor and someone who loves Jesus, I believe absolutely there's no division in truth. And the truth of scripture is compatible with the truth of science. Only we have to find where that truth is. So there's a chapter on evolution. God's justice, I just don't understand it. Supernatural, fact or fiction. The church... The Western Church versus the Developing World, chapter on sexuality and faith, which I think is very important for us in a society where sex basically is a transactional activity rather than a moral factor. So if you'd like to buy it, there are plenty at the back. If, if we run out, um, we can get them sent to you with, within a couple of days. Um, all profits, I don't take anything from it, all profits go to the Gospel Music Festival in Asia. So we'd like to have that, that will really tell you a little bit about mission. What's the best model for expatriate missions? Hudson Taylor, one of the great missionaries in the 18th century, who took the gospel to China. Once said, I look upon foreign missionaries as a scaffolding around a rising building. The sooner it can be dispensed with, the better, or rather the sooner it can be transformed to other places to serve the same temporary use, the better. Roland Allen, writing in a groundbreaking book called St. Paul's Methods or Ours, He wrote, foreigners can never successfully propagate a faith throughout a whole country. If the faith does not become naturalized and expand among the people by its own vital power, it exercises an alarming and hateful influence, and men fear and shun it as something alien. Sadly, I'd have to say that instead of seeing themselves as temporary scaffolding, as Hudson Taylor described, many mission organizations end up believing they are the grand building and the Indian-African Can we have the next slide, please? The Indian, African, Chinese Christians believe they are scaffolding privilege to hold them up. One of the most challenging parables to me in the Bible is from Matthew 25, 31 to 46. It's the parable of the sheep of the goats. And I'm not going to read it to you, but you, you all know it. And basically the difference between those who were received into God's kingdom and those who were rejected were the ones who actually did something. So it's not about what we believe, it's what we actually do. Because he said, when, Lord, when were you hungry? When were you thirsty? When were you out clothes? And we did or did not come to do it to you. And Jesus' response, inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these my brethren, you did it or you did it not unto me. So I think that is a huge challenge to each one of us. Are we going to minister in the way that Jesus did? Mother Teresa once said, the poor are Jesus in disguise. And so really what I want to do this morning is to challenge those of you who come from different nations around Asia to really pray and seek God as to whether you can go back for a short-term mission with the gifts that you have to share the gospel, whether in Malaysia, in Indonesia, in Burma, in Laos, in Vietnam, in the Philippines, in India, in Bangladesh, wherever you come from, To go back and actually take the gospel back to the country from which you come. Is that contrary to, to scripture where it says, By grace have you been saved through faith? It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God in Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. Not at all. I'm not suggesting that we are saved through works. But our works ratify our faith. I would use the same analogy that I would with my wife I say to my wife I love her but I ratify my love by the way I treat her and the actions that I have towards her and if we love Jesus then our actions need to represent and ratify the love we have for him and one of those is to actually help feed the poor and the disadvantaged can you move it on to the slide which has got the relative poverty in the world if you don't much there thank you if you look on this slide, it's not a complicated one. From left to right, as you're looking, you'll see that 0.88 people. This is from the World, World Bank Development. 0.88 billion people live on less than one dollar a day. And if you follow it through, you'll see that less than over three billion people, or about half the world's population, live on less than two dollars fifty a day. I wonder how your eye would actually manage to live on less than $2.50 a day. And in fact, nearly 80% of the world's population live on less than $10 a day. And I believe that we have a responsibility to try to redress that balance. The, The Bible says early on, am I my brother's keeper? And I think the challenge to us is, yes, I am my brother's keeper. We do have a responsibility My friend Heidi Baker again says that love looks like something. And we have to actually represent God's love in a way that is actually real. You see, God's kingdom is a topsy-turvy one. It's not up-down, it's down-up. That the only way to be great in God's kingdom is to go lower. And the lower, the better. Why? Because Jesus gave that example to us. When I was in Chennai a few years ago, I was asked to go and have tea with some lovely lady missionaries. They were working for CBM, the Christoffel Blinden Mission. And during our tea, I just asked both of them, I said, how is your relationship with Jesus? And, you know, tears began to fill their eyes. And they said to me, do you know we've been missionaries for 25 years and no one has ever asked us that question? And it made me feel so sad because... That really lies at the heart of anything and everything we do for Jesus. What is our relationship with him? Is it stale or distant? Is it passionate, vibrant, satisfying and growing? Or has it become dull and routine? I know our moods may vary. But you see, faith is the ability to hold on to concepts and truths that our mind is once accepted to be true and voracious despite our changing moods. The Bible talks in Revelation about the church at Ephesus and commends them for all the good things they are doing, about the way that they can discern truth from error. But it's one thing that the writer St. John points out. They've lost their first love, their first, what I call, first love first. And I sense in my heart as I was praying and preparing for this morning that maybe, perhaps the main reason I've come here this morning is to call you back to your first love. You see, without our first love, everything we do for Jesus will be just routine, a duty, a fawning obedience. Because anything to have eternal significance can only come From intimacy with Jesus. Because I think all ministry has to flow from intimacy. Then what we do we can do with joy. So how can we come back to our first love? We read in Revelation 2:4, repent and do the things that we did at first. Zephaniah says, Zechariah 1:3, sorry, return to me and I will return to you. That means retracing our steps to where we went astray. What do we do when we get lost? We go back to where we were on the right track and start afresh. So we retrace our tracks back to when we last enjoyed close fellowship with him. And we call upon the name of the Lord. But there are a few important preliminaries. Number one, get rid of any secret sin. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I cherish or allow any sin in my heart... Lord will not hear me. It's really a waste of time praying if we are indulging in secret sins. We need to repent as David did in Psalm 139 where he said, search me, O God, and know my heart test me and know my secret or anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive or wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask the Holy Spirit this morning to examine your heart and point out anything in it That is unworthy of him and is a barrier to your relationship with Jesus. Two, we need to cleave unto God, to set aside time to read his word, meditate on him and pray. We cannot have a vibrant and close living relationship with Jesus on just two minutes a day. Catherine Kuhlman, the lady in America who had an amazing healing ministry, she was not without her flaws but she was once asked by a brash young reporter, Miss Kuhlman, I'd love to have a ministry like you. Can you tell me the key? And she shot back immediately and said, you can, but you have to pay the price. And all of us have potential to do great things for God, but we have to pay the price. There is a price to be paid. It doesn't just happen. We wake up one morning and we're full of of joy and, and enthusiasm and passion for God and we want to take the gospel around the world. We have to develop an intimate relationship with Jesus. And that takes time and commitment. Roland asked me to share a little bit about my own story as to how I came to be involved in mission. I'll tell you briefly, but maybe just pointing out the important salient points in my life where Jesus really impacted me and perhaps changed direction. I was brought up, as I share in the book, in a a wonderful loving family in the UK, number six of eight children, and from a young age, I always wanted to go into medicine. I've never, ever wanted to do anything else. And so it's still such a privilege, at a ripe old age, still to practice something I really love. And I went through school, um, high school. I was privileged to get a scholarship to America after that. I went back to medical school, then I had another research job at the University of Hawaii. I came back to England, um, did some residences, Then I came to Australia to do more in paediatrics and obstetrics. My 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 passion actually and, and especially is infectious disease and tropical medicine, not obstetrics. I haven't done obstetrics for many years. But um by the time I was in my early thirties we had a flourishing practice in New South Wales. I had a sports car, a home by the ocean. We had a weekend farm we used to go to a lovely wife. I used to sometimes play the organ. I was the assistant organist at the Baptist church and I think people would look at us and our families say they had it made. And probably in in secular terms, we did. But I remember one day walking by the beach, along the beach by our home. And in a moment of time, the Holy Spirit showed me myself, not as others saw me, but as he saw me. And I knew that just beneath the surface, there was lust and greed and pride and envy, all the things of the flesh. It's what St. Paul talked about in Corinthians 3, the difference between a carnal and a spiritual Christian. He says, I could not speak to you as spiritual because you're carnal. And I would describe a carnal Christian as one who follows the desires of the flesh and a spiritual one who follows the desires of the spirit. And God showed me my heart juxtaposed to his pristine purity and holiness and coupled with that his totally unconditional love. And I think the juxtaposition of God's incredible holiness... And his unconditional love, compared to what I saw as my black heart, completely broke me. And I can remember walking along that beach, weeping and weeping and weeping. But they weren't tears of self-pity. They were tears of repentance and restoration. I look back on that time as being a seminal moment in my life. And because we had a, a lovely home, a large home, we loved entertaining. And soon after that, as I was telling Roland in the car last night, we had some missionaries from America with a group called the Cruppets. They were doing wonderful ministry to the kids. And um, the, the couple who led it, Rick and Ruth Shope, had been married for five years, but they hadn't, had any, hadn't been able to have any children. And because the research I've been doing in Hawaii had been based on female re- reproductive hormones, I, I knew a little bit about that. So I was able to work, work them up and tell them what the problem was. But at the same time, they asked me if I'd like to come on a missionary trip with them. I thought, great, because by this time, I was really wanting to serve the Lord. And I thought, I'll, I'll be able to carry Rick's bags and see how ministry works and things. So because I'd been in practice for a few years, I was able to get a locum, a lady locum who came and lived in our home with my wife. And it looked like everything was wonderful. And the night before I was due to go to India, we were having a Bible study in our home, and the phone rang. And it was Rick Shope on the phone from America. He said, Marty, hi, it's Rick. I said, hi, Rick, lovely to hear you. He said, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that we've been able to, after what you told us in Australia, we've been able to adopt a little baby girl from India. Um, but the bad news is I have to stay in America. To, we have to stay in America to do all the administrative work for that. So I can't at this time come to India. But you go and God bless you and you put the phone down. <laughs> and it was it was like someone had pricked my balloon and went, at that, and we had a wag who was in our Bible study, and he knew that I went for a swim every day. He said, Martin, you've got to go to India. Otherwise, if you don't, God will just send a big fish tomorrow, swallow you up, and then vomit you on the shores of India, which wasn't really what I wanted to hear. And so I went down to my study downstairs. We lived upstairs. And I pulled up my I said, God, I cannot go. I cannot possibly get to India on my own. You, you cannot expect me to go on my own. And then I waited, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me so gently. He said, When will you be ready to go? And I thought about it. I said, Lord, well, maybe when I'm a bit more mature, when I've studied your word a bit better, when, when I, maybe when I've been to Bible school or when, I, when, I, when I'm a bit different. He said, you're ready when I call you. And just like that, I said, well, Lord, if you're calling me, I have to know from your word exactly something that you're telling me right now. And like that, John three thirty four came into my mind. And I didn't know the word nearly as well as I do now. And I certainly didn't know what it was. And I opened my Bible and read these words, he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, and to him the Lord does not give his spirit by measure. So I knew that God had spoken to me, and I got on that plane the next day with great joy and excitement and anticipation of what God was going to do. All I had was a return ticket to India and one address in Chennai, no one else at all, and I had no idea what I was going to do. And so I... I phoned the pastor, I think, yeah, I had phoned the pastor, we didn't have texts or faxes in those days, and told him what time I'd be arriving, and he thought I'd been traveling all night from Australia, but there wasn't a direct flight through to Chennai, or or, or, um, as as it was known today, it was um, Madras in those days, and um, I got on the plane to Singapore, overnight in Singapore, and arrived at Chennai about midday. And I wasn't feeling tired at all. And the pastor thought I'd had a really long flight. He said, look, I'll take you back to the hotel. You have a rest there. And then you can, I'll pick you up. And can you speak at church? And I said, great. And I got up to my room. I wasn't feeling at all tired. So I thought, I'll go down to the, have a look around. And I went out to the entrance of the hotel. And those of you who come from India know the masses of people there are in the cities in India, and I'd not been to India before, and it just looked like about 10,000 people were all outside with a hand stretch wanting money. And I thought, wow, what do I do about this? So I went back to my room, and immediately my spirits began to go, as the enemy said to me, what do you think you're doing here, Martin? 6,000 miles away from home, you're here for a month, you don't know what you're going to do, do you really think you're going to make any difference? And, you know, we always have a choice, either to have a pity party or to do what the Bible says, is put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heavenness, doesn't it? So I decided, well, I will put on a garment of praise. So I began to sing, the joy of the Lord is my strength, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength, oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And as I sang, God lifted my spirits up into the heavenly places, and immediately that spirit of heavenness left. And I have to say, it was probably... One of the most exciting months of my life. I went from Chennai to Calcutta and spent three days with Mother Teresa. And she became really, I think, one of the great mentors in my life. That I think my love for the poor and the oppressed really sprung from that. I'll never forget seeing her in her home for the dying and holding a lady in those days. There were literally tens of thousands of people living and dying on the streets. And holding this lady who was more skeletal than human with a dirty soiled sari and stroking her face and kissing her in the only way I can describe a lover would do for a beloved. And saying almost cynically, Mother Teresa, how can you show such love to these people? And she looked in her, she was only very short, looked back at me and said, Dr. Martin, I look into her face and into her eyes. And in her face I see the face of Christ. I thought, wow, if she can do that, I can do that. And we can all do that because Jesus is present in the poor and the oppressed in a special way. And so that was really the beginning. I, I thought when I got back, well, Lord, what am I going to do? How, how do I prepare for mission? And we had some lovely friends at that time who would just come back from Youth of the Mission. Some of you probably have heard of Youth of the Mission. They'd done a course in Hawaii. And the two things I remember specifically, number one, that they had lots of peanut butter sandwiches, and number two, that they didn't have doors in the toilet, and two things in life, I would almost, I think I'd rather die of starvation than eat peanut butter. I don't mind peanuts, but peanut butter I cannot stand, really. Of all the foods in the world, peanut butter is one. I don't mind Mind the lovely peanut sauce they make with with um, satay and things in, in Malaysia, but I cannot stand peanut butter. And... Also, I'd rather be constipated for a month rather than not have a door on the toilet. So I thought, if this is an organization like that, I will have nothing to do with it. But the strange thing was, two years later, God in his mercy and grace found us actually at Wyman in Canberra. And that was a wonderful time. And, and, and I'd really recommend any of you who are thinking of a course, I'm a discipleship training school. is a wonderful training ground. It's a, really a boot camp for the Christian faith. And it gets rid of a lot of the hang-ups and the, 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 the things that we have in our life that still a result from my old life. And I got back home, and I was praying, and said, Lord, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? And the Holy Spirit said, there's a book in your bookcase that doesn't belong to you. I said, no, Lord, where do you want me to go? There's a book that doesn't belong to you. And it was. It had Port Macquarie Baptist Church stamped in the front. And I knew that by that time I'd moved to North Queensland, and I knew it didn't belong to me. And so I'd stolen it. And this little verse in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 20, says, take the foxes, the little foxes that spill the vine while it's in blossom, and, you know, the little things in our life are often the things that prevent the Holy Spirit working. The world But say, what does it matter taking a book? It does, because it's stealing. And stealing a book is the same as stealing a million dollars in God's eyes. And so I sent the book back to the pastor and said, I'm really sorry. Because when I was assistant organist, he'd actually given me the book so I could look at the songs on Saturday, so I could familiarize myself with them. And it had gone with me in my library. So I sent it back. And he, he wrote and said, thank you so much. God bless you, we don't actually use this book anymore. But anyway, it's wonderful to have it back. And the next day I was praying, and the Holy Spirit said, there's another book, and believe me, I'm not a kleptomaniac, there's another book in your bookcase <laughs> that doesn't belong to you. And this is a little book on ECGs that I think actually had come from a medical student who'd been working, with, but that had Port Macquarie District Hospital in the front. And I sent that back to the hospital. I didn't get any response from them. They probably thought, Rottenbound are stealing our books. But, you know, the very next day... I went to my mailbox, and there was a letter with Waco, Texas, and other people I know from Waco? And I, I belonged to an international group called the Christian Medical Fellowship. And the previous year, I'd been to a conference in Davos, Switzerland, and met this lovely American pediatrician called Charles Schellenberger. And he wrote and said, Martin, and I was at a missionary luncheon in Dallas, Texas, yesterday, and heard a missionary talking about the need for doctors in Burma, um, on the Thai-Burmese border, the Karen, who are predominantly Christian, have very, very little in the way of medical services. Many of the kids are dying from cerebral malaria. And your name came to mind. And tears began to flow down my cheeks because I knew God had spoken to me. That was in 1987. And now, what, 30, 40 years later, 30 years later, um, I've been back to Burma nearly 100 times, as Roland says, and God has expanded, really, the lengths of my tent. And God, I can tell you, has been utterly faithful. I've let God down so many times, but I've brushed myself off, picked myself up, and got going again. And that's what I'd really encourage you to do. Because everyone in this auditorium has gifts, probably many of you far greater than mine. But God isn't interested in our gifts that we have. He's interested whether we're prepared to make those gifts available, whether it's one, two, five, or ten, it doesn't matter. But we have to do it with a pure heart, and a heart that is close to him and living in fellowship with him. So I just want to pray and really ask the Holy Spirit to speak to hearts this morning, saying, Lord, are you calling me back to my own country, back to Indonesia, back to India, back to Laos, back to Thailand, back to Burma, back to Cambodia, wherever it may be, wherever you come from, that I can share with my own people. Because I said in that quote from Hudson Taylor, missionaries are the scaffolding, the expatriates, it's the locals who are the ones who have the most ability to share the gospel. And you, as local people, can go back to your own people and say, this is the difference that Jesus has made in my life. Here's the answer to, to life's problems. Because you can have a relationship with him. Can you imagine what it must be like being a Muslim and praying five times a day, year in, year out, not hearing any answer? How frustrating is that? And yet we have a God who communicates with us. He's a God who loves us and speaks to us by his Holy Spirit. And so we need to share the good news of the gospel, share the fact that Jesus is alive. He is working in planet Earth today. The Earth belongs to him, and he has a plan which will be fulfilled. And in eternity, we'll all rejoice together that we were able to play a tiny part in that plan. So let's pray as we close. Jesus, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for Pastor Roland and for Sister Evelyn and the other pastors here. Jesus, I thank you for every person here and all the nations that are represented here this morning. And Jesus, I pray firstly that you will allow each of us to have that close and intimate relationship with you. You will call us back, Father, to to our first love, that we have forsaken our first love, And that our relationship with you is just routine and dull and boring. That we will go back to where we were at our first, Lord, when we had such close fellowship with you. And we know that involves repenting. The Greek word for repentance is metaneos, which means to turn around in the other direction. So, Jesus, I pray that we will turn around and run back to you this morning. Thank you that you are the Father like the one mentioned in the prodigal son, who stands with his arms wide open to receive us. And Lord, if there's any sin in our life that we have not confessed, anything, Father, that we have hidden, maybe from our closest and dearest, from our spouses, from our friends, right now, Lord, we confess it. We give it to you. And we say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please cleanse me. Purify Purify me by your Holy Spirit and help me to turn around and run in the other direction. And Jesus, I want more than anything to know that closeness of fellowship with you so that I can just grow in your love, in your compassion, in your passion, Lord, for the world. Because your word says that God loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus. Not just loved Australia. Or love Burma, or love Thailand, or love Malaysia, or Singapore, but he loved the world. And so, Jesus, I pray that we too will develop that love for the world and the lost. Thank you for the promise from Romans that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We thank you, Jesus, that you turn no one away, but they cannot hear without someone to tell them. And so, Father, I pray that we will be willing to be that voice to tell people about Jesus. They cannot hear unless someone tells them the good news. And Jesus, we offer ourselves this morning to you to be instruments for your peace and your love and your glory. And just as I close, I just want to ask those of you who are willing to say that prayer, say, Lord, I'm willing. I know I'm broken. I know I have many faults I know I, I, I feel in myself that I could never achieve it, but through your grace I can, because your word says your grace is made perfect in weakness. I'd like those of you who say, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do, just to quietly stand now, as an, really as a response to that call of Jesus. Are you willing to be obedient to me, to take my word, if necessary, to the ends of the earth, to respond to the Great Commission and say, "Lord, I am willing." I don't know what that involve that will involve, but I'm prepared to make that commitment now. Will you just stand quietly before the Lord, Jesus? I thank you for all those <coughs> who have stood up. I thank you that you've seen every commitment, Father, every life, every talent. And I thank you, Father, that great glory is going to come to your kingdom because of these precious brothers and sisters who are prepared to commit to you. And I pray now, Father, that you will just seal that commitment by your Holy Spirit. You will help them now as they develop and and learn and seek your will for where they should go. But I thank you that your Holy Spirit will guide them and lead them just as you've led me, Jesus. Because you're such a faithful God. And in the Spirit, I see countless thousands of people coming to know Jesus through the ministry of this church and these precious souls that have stood up for him. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen.
2: Wow. What a great... Start to Missions Month. Thank you, uh, Dr. Martin Panther. That was truly inspirational. I think today we got an inside look to what it is to really be a champion for the kingdom of God. It's these kind of conversations that you have with yourself and with God where you know God is calling you and you know there are things. Um, I really want to encourage you over this next month, can you spend some time to actually intentionally seek out what God wants for your life in regards to missions? It's the Great Commission. We're all called. Father, I want to thank you so much for this month that we, are, we have dedicated four missions. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us that you would give us courage, that we would hear clearly your voice, and that we would be a church of action, that we would act um, and do great things in your name. So we commit all of this into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.